Today we're jumping back into our Recalibrate series on the parables of the kingdom of heaven. And today we're going to continue in Matthew chapter 13. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me there. We're going to start in verse 44 here in a moment. The question I want to ask you just to to think about at the beginning of our time today is what's the most valuable thing you possess? What's the most valuable thing you own? Is it your house, maybe the car that you drive, or maybe making payments on those? Uh, Is it the computer you carry in your pockets? Is it something stashed away in a closet somewhere or or in a safe? Uh, Maybe it's in your bank accounts. Maybe you hold it someplace else. Maybe the most valuable thing you own sits around your dinner table every evening as you come together as a family. What is the most valuable thing you possess? And the follow-up question to that as we define what's the most valuable thing we possess is what, what, does it, what is the definition of value? How do we define value? Well, to begin our time today, I'd like to start with this working definition of value and it will influence the rest of what we talk about. Value is the length an owner would go to possess something. Value is the length an owner would go to possess something. How much does something cost? Well, how much are you willing to pay for it, right? There's a, an old uh, marketing campaign started in uh, some television commercials uh, back uh, last century. It was like late 1900s, 1977. Uh, and you may have recognized the, the commercial. It started off like this. A father and a son were headed to a baseball game. And you see that, that image. And then on the screen, it says, baseball tickets, $67 or whatever it was. And then you see them get in, they give their tickets and they go to the concession stands and buy their hot dogs and their soda. And it says, concessions, $29. And then they, they're walking towards their seat and the, the son is holding an autographed baseball and it says, autographed baseball, $50. And then there's this moment where the father and son are seated in their seats at the baseball game and you see them having a conversation and it says, conversation with someone you love, priceless. There are some things that money can't buy, but for everything else, there's MasterCard, right? That has become a, a, a big campaign for MasterCard and, and there, immediately as soon as that commercial went out, other people were making their list and maybe you made one of your own of what things cost and then what's really important to you is priceless. Today we're gonna talk about priceless grace. So if you got your Bibles, open up with me to Matthew chapter 13. We'll start in verse 44. Matthew chapter, Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. It reads this way. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. This guy is likely hired to plow this field. And as he's working that field, the plow behind some oxen, or maybe he's digging it himself, he hears clink, Oh, there's something underneath the ground. And quickly, he digs down and finds some type of wealth and money hidden in the ground. You see, during this time, uh, there, the, the, the governments and, and the, the governing agencies, things were a little bit volatile. We know nothing about that today, I know. But things were a little bit volatile. And the way to protect 
your wealth and to make sure that when a new king came into power, they couldn't overtax you or take their portion and be like, I just, I just got this nice thing. What you would do is you would hide your wealth in the ground. The challenge is remembering where you hid your wealth, right? You've probably got something in your house like, where did this thing go? I was hiding it for a reason and now I can't even find it. And he happens upon some treasure that somebody else has hidden. And in that time, the ethic was not like it's today. It's like, let's find the rightful owner. According to rabbinic law, if you found something in the ground of this type or money scattered around, you could claim it as yours. And so he very quickly, not trying to dig it up and take it, what he wants to do, he says, I know there's a treasure in the field. I don't want to just own the treasure. I want to own the whole field so that I can come back. I can dig the treasure out of the ground and uh, do with it what I'd, what I'd like to do. I remember when I was a kid, probably seven or eight years old, uh, my parents gave me a metal detector. Did anybody get one of those when they were younger? All right, and you have a little stick and it kind of beeps or a little light comes on. And I was super excited to take this into our backyard and find somebody's hidden treasure that they had obviously put in our backyard. And it was just, it was gonna, it was gonna be great. So I take the metal detector out and I'm you know, kind of kind of going here and there and it's like beep, 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 beep. Oh, there's something there. So you get a shovel, a little hand trowel and you, I started, started to dig and I dig and I dig and I pulled the dirt out and I go beep, 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 beep. It's not beeping anymore. Well, maybe I dug it out. So I go to the pile that I dug out, beep, 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 right? So I got close and kind of through, through the mud, I knew that I had found something of incredible value, right? And I pick it up off the ground to realize it was a rusty staple. <laughs> I was like, okay, let me, let me try again. Going around in the yard. Doo, 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 doo. And oh, there's a screw. Oh, there's a nail. Oh, there's a penny from whenever when they were still metal and detectable. Uh, and I didn't find any treasure in the backyard. Only a few little pieces here and there. But you know that moment when you're looking for something and you happen upon it. Maybe, just maybe, this is of value. And the interesting thing about this story is that the man who finds the treasure, which is equivocated to the kingdom of heaven, in some ways, he wasn't trying to find it. He was doing his job in the field. And by doing his job in the field, he happened upon the treasure. I think the same thing is true with the kingdom of God, that sometimes we don't find the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven finds us. This treasure almost found him. And maybe in your experience, you weren't looking for something. You weren't kind of looking high and low and trying to find something of great value. Maybe there was a catalytic conversation with a coworker, or you happened upon an old dusty Bible in, an, in, a, in a relative's house. Maybe you attended a series of meetings or you came across a, a live stream somewhere and there was something that captivated your heart. And you heard about Jesus and you said, that guy might be worth investing in. And you, like the man who found the treasure in the field, went and sold everything you had and devoted your entire life to the kingdom of God. Sometimes we don't find the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven finds us. But that's one side of the coin, perhaps. Today, there's two stories we're looking at. The Another parable is told in verse 45 through 46. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. 
When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought it. This merchant is very purposely going and finding things of value. He knew exactly what he wanted. And when he saw the pearl of all pearls, it was not to be just added to his collection. He says, that pearl is so priceless that I will take my entire collection of beautiful pearls and and cast all of those away. I will sell those and use the money from there to buy the choice pearl. I remember Melissa and I were, were just dating and we were talking about engagement and I was ready to, to pop the question and I go to my dad and I said, dad, it's time to buy a watch. So, you know, good Adventist kid. Uh, and so go to, go, we, dad and I go to a couple of jewel shops and we're looking for the, the watch, right? That I'm going to propose with. And this is going to be my sign of, of love and affection and commitment to Melissa for the rest of my life. So we go and we look and, uh, you know, you come in like, what are we looking for today? Oh, I'm looking for a watch. Okay. What's your budget? And like, you know, college student. So uh, this analogy, if you push it too far, breaks down a little bit. But you say, hey, this is the budget range. Go over to the case where those are and you begin to look. And in one particular shop, I, I caught a gleam and said, that's it. That's that's the watch. It doesn't matter what it costs. It kind of does because I'm still in college, but it doesn't matter because that's, that's the one. That's the one of, of, of great price. I will, I will do whatever it takes within reason to get, to get that one. That's the feeling that this merchant has. When he saw the, the, the treasure, the pearl, that, that's, that's the one, I've gotta have it. And we've been married seven years this summer and beautiful son Micah, like everything has worked out, amen. But when the merchant goes, he's looking with intent. And it's not an addition to his beautiful collection of beautiful things. It replaces everything. You see, the kingdom of heaven is not another item to be added to the collection. And maybe in your experience with the gospel, you went about looking for purpose, for meaning, or for understanding. You read books to understand how does the universe operate? Who is a God in heaven or does he even exist at all? What is my purpose in life? And you've diligently sought from place to place, maybe religion to religion, ideology to ideology. And then one day you met Jesus and he was not someone that you added to the collection and kind of put his book along with all the other books on the shelf. No, forget everything else. The kingdom of heaven is everything. Like how N.T. Wright puts it in the, in the book, Matthew for Everyone, his commentary on Matthew. The gospel of the kingdom isn't a pleasant religious idea that you might like to explore sometime when you've got an hour or two to spare. It isn't like an attractive object in a museum that you might visit and look at admiringly the next time you're in the district. It's like a fabulous hoard of treasure, yours for the taking, if you'll sell everything else to buy the field where it's hidden. It's the biggest, finest, purest pearl that any jeweler ever imagined, and it's yours for the taking if you'll sell everything else, including the other pearls you've ever owned in order to purchase it. That's the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is the most valuable thing you could ever possess. That's the kingdom of heaven. 
the most worth, the most value, the most beauty. The kingdom of heaven is the most valuable thing you could ever possess. It is worth selling everything you have and following Jesus. Everything. Right continues on. There is only one great pearl. There is only one hoard of treasure and everything else is is nothing beside it. The pearl, the treasure is the gospel of the kingdom, which Jesus was announcing and embodying. You remember in the beginning of Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus goes on and, and says, don't worry about the clothes that you wear or the food that you're going to eat or what you're going to do in life. He says, the lilies of the field are, are clothed with more beautiful clothing than Solomon was. And I take care of even the sparrow. How much more will I take care of you? Seek first the kingdom of heaven. And then what? Everything else will be added to you. See, this is paradox in our mind that it, we think that if we have to sell everything in order to invest in the kingdom and we follow Jesus, that we're going to be missing out on something else. That Jesus is, it, it's, it's a nice, Jesus, nice, he's a nice man. He's a wonderful savior. He's going to do something for my life, but I want to, I want to hold on to s- s- something else for, for a little bit. He can't possibly take care of everything in my life that I care about. But Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and everything else with, with, in context means all of the cares of the world of what, what you wear on your back and the food that you eat and what it means to live. All of those things will be added to you. Because the beautiful thing about the kingdom of God is that it's not an addition to your life. It's a multiplication of your life. For from the kingdom of heaven flows all other treasures. You want to live a good life? Seek first the kingdom of God. You want a good marriage? Seek first the kingdom of God. You want to raise godly kids? Seek first the kingdom of God. You want to excel in business and what you put your life to to make money? Seek first the kingdom of God. Everything else will be added to you. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is a level set that when we seek it first, all the other priorities of our life fall into place. You want to live on purpose? Seek the kingdom of heaven. I like how Ellen puts it in Christ's Object Lessons, page 117. We cannot earn salvation, but we are to seek for it with as much interest and perseverance as though we would abandon everything in the world for it. Salvation is your free gift. Accept it in the name of Jesus today, and it's yours but you will spend a lifetime understanding what the fruit of salvation will do in your life. That is the the, the perseverance she speaks of. To abandon everything else and say, I'm going to live on purpose in this direction towards Jesus. There's something inside all of us that compels us to want more. We want meaning, we want purpose, we want value. There's a reason we get out of bed in the morning, even if it's just to pay the bills. We desire something beyond us. And we can spend all of our lives seeking after those things. And it will be trying to, like trying to grasp the wind in your hand. We're in Texas, we know a little bit about wind, right? We experienced it last night. Try to grab the wind, you're not gonna get it. And humanity in general 
has built systems of economy and commerce where just about anything you could ever want in the world could be at your doorstep in two days or less. Thank you, Jeff, right? We, we're, we're living in a world where humanity has stood up and said, we are going to take care of ourselves and we're gonna use the resources of the world, which you and I benefit from for all the wonderful, many wonderful ways. We go to the grocery store and there's, there's food on the shelves. But the challenge is that we could look at those physical material things and say, that will save me. If I can buy enough toilet paper, I can survive the pandemic. You remember that? I know it's kind of fuzzy now a little bit. If I can buy enough of this, if I can have enough of that, then I will make it through life. Jesus says, no, seek first the kingdom of heaven. There's this beautiful chapter in the book of Job, Job 28, and it kind of stands by itself because scholars don't necessarily know who's speaking it. It could be Job, it could be God, but there's this beautiful kind of, kind of pause or intermission in between Job's friends going back and forth with him and God interjecting. And it says this, people know where to mine silver and how to refine gold. And the next several verses talk about all the different wealth that you can get and how the, the world has all these resources and we know how to access all of that. But in verse 12, all of it comes to a crashing halt with this question, but do people know where to find wisdom? Where can they find understanding. And this passage, I love this passage because the, the, the mine is personified where you get the gold and, and the silver. The mine pops up and says, you know, we've heard about wisdom, but it's not found here. And then Sheol talks and says, yeah, we've kind of heard about that thing, but we definitely know, don't know what it's about. And verse after verse say, you can't find wisdom here. You can't find understanding there. You can't find there. And at the end of this chapter, it says the beginning of understanding, the beginning of knowledge and wisdom is found in the fear of God. Seek first the kingdom of heaven and all will be added to you. So what do we do with this something inside of us that compels us to be good people, that has us strive for, for excellence and for purpose and for more? Because at the end of the day, if we're seeking first the kingdom of heaven to get everything added to us, then it's a non-starter because we haven't actually sought the kingdom of heaven in the first place. If you're in it to seek the kingdom of heaven to get some type of earthly gain or some accolade or for people to look good at you, that is not what the kingdom of heaven is all about. So we cannot use that as a motivation to seek the kingdom of heaven because it's not about what we receive in the end. What I believe is proper motivation and what is even more compelling than just material gain and seeking the kingdom of heaven is that humanity is involved in the middle of a story. And it's a story that goes like this. A man was working in a field and came across some treasure. He buried it again, went and sold everything and bought the field so he could have the treasure. It told another way, the story goes like this. A merchant was looking for choice pearls. And when he, he found the one, he went and sold everything and bought that pearl. That's the story of God's love for humanity. Because there was a God, a God who is love, who at the beginning of 
our existence, created a world for us, and committed even then. Say, I'll do whatever it takes for humanity. They have the opportunity to choose something other than me, and I'm willing to take the risk because it means that we can be in love relationship. Notice what Philippians chapter two, verse six says about Jesus who made that choice. Though Jesus was God, he did not think equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. First Corinthians chapter six, verse 20 says, God bought you with a high price. What was that price? First Peter chapter one, verses 18 and 19. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. You're looking for material gain? That's an empty life that your ancestors have given to you. It's not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. No, it was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb. You are valuable. God paid a price for you. And as much as we find ourselves in the story being the the merchant and the man who who find the the good thing and sell everything to, to go get it, even more are we the treasure that's buried in a field or the pearl of great price. Because remember at the beginning, we started with this premise. Value is the length the owner would go to possess something. I did uh, some searches this week, uh, just wanting to know, like, what's the most expensive thing in our world that humanity has created that you could potentially purchase if you were able to broker the deal? And there's several different lists that I, that I looked at, and I, there's some more clickbaity ones than others, but the kind of general consensus is that the most expensive thing in the, in the, in the, in the world that you could perhaps buy if you could, although it's highly unlikely that you, that you could, the price for that object is set at 150 billion with a B dollars, 150 billion dollars. And about every 90 minutes, it orbits our planet. It's known as the International Space Station. All the different instruments that NASA has put into space in this capsule that holds humans inside of it, right, to, to sustain life, and they can do all their experiences and everything. You know, Write NASA a check for $150 billion and the International Space Station could be yours. Okay, a little expensive, right? So looking at the list, the next thing, if you could identify a thing, like maybe you're into boats, there was a yacht that sold for $4.5 billion. I know you can, okay, I can go home and, and, and go get that one, right? And also in my searches, there's kind of lists of like, what are the most expensive things sold on eBay? Uh, currently, there's a, a gem that looks like a cut of meat that's going for $1.2 million, you know, if that's kind of more in your price range. Uh, and I also came across another article that in the early 2000s, scientists scanned kind of the composite human body to, to understand like how many minerals do we have inside of us and what are the organs worth? And they came up with a valuation for a human body. If you were to harvest the, what it would take to, to, to harvest all the organs and, and uh, to, to transplant them and to use the raw minerals that are found in our bodies, you know how much you're worth according to them? $45 million, which is like, oh, that, that's a lot. No, <laughs> that should be a slap in the face to who you are. Because remember, value is the length the owner would go to possess something. 
And according to the Bible, according to the story of scripture, there's a God in heaven who's willing to give his life for you. In fact, he's already done it. He placed you at the top of the list. And he says, I would rather die than to experience life without them. You are the most valuable possession in the universe. Don't let the scientists tell you something else. Don't allow them to just devalue you and your identity and say, yeah, just a whole like, you know, $45 million for you and you can do a lot of good. No, you are the most valuable possession in all the universe. Why? Well, because there was a man who went out to plow fields and he found you. He went and made sure that you were safe and secure and went and sold everything so that he could buy you. And then there's, there's a merchant who's in collecting fine things. And then he came across you. He says, I'm selling everything else. I'm not keeping the rest of the collection. I want you. So when it comes to value, know this, God loves you. God died for you. He gave his life for you. And you are the most valuable possession in the universe. I invite you today to bask in that love. God, you've been faithful. And that's evidenced by the length that you would go to possess us. Thank you for giving your all for us that we might experience the kingdom of heaven. And today, Lord, because of that, may we go forth and pursue you like that merchant and that man. Lord, thank you for loving us, for seeing value in us. Lord, we love you. Look forward to seeing you soon. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. Go today in grace and peace.